Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 281. Today's topic is getting our time back. We'll talk about getting our time back in just a minute, but first I wanted to invite you that if you have any questions, comments, observations, or requests, please email info at theclimatereport.net. If, I would especially like it if you would suggest a program topic. If you have a topic you'd like me to talk about, I'll make every effort to uh, prepare and cover that topic. So the topic is getting our time back, and this suggests that maybe in some ways the system that we have is stealing our time from us. For example, if the Department of Defense and related activities take from us on average uh, four or five thousand dollars per year per person and if that is essentially unnecessary if they're not doing valid or legitimate work then we should get rid of that so we can have our four or five thousand dollars back or if automobiles uh, cost us eight thousand dollars per year and we spend a lot of our time earning money just to pay for the automobile when an automobile, you know, there will always be cars, but we have way too many, and we have way too many because, well, we'll talk about why we do. But So there are all sorts of things about our system that tend to take our money and take our health and therefore take our time. So first, what is the Climate Report all about? The Climate Report, the, the main thing, as of 280 episodes, I've come to believe that the main thing about the Climate Report is figuring out how to solve the problem of climate change. I don't pretend to be at the levers of power, certainly don't pretend to know everything, but the Climate Report is about how would we solve this problem if we could? So solving any problem involves four or five steps. For what, Number one, you want to identify the problems to be solved. Number two, you want to have a vision for where you want to go. Begin with the end in mind. Where do we want to end up? What is the vision for the society that we would like to create in which climate change is not a serious problem as it is now? Number three, to solve any problem, you want to identify the obstacles. What is getting in your way? If you go about trying to solve this problem, what is going to stand in your way? And number four, establish priorities. Given the fact that you can't do everything at once, what do we do first and then next and then next? And step number five is move forward. So the five steps in solving a problem, identify the problems to be solved, have a vision for where you want to go, identify the obstacles, establish priorities, and then move forward. So we're going to talk about getting our time back, but first let's look at some of the problems to be solved related to climate change, and let's look at having a vision. Where do we want to go with this? So the problems to be solved include, you know, here are some of the problems that we want to solve related to climate change. Number one, that we got, got four of them. Number one, climate change is really dangerous. 
So we want to solve this, the problem of climate change because it's dangerous. Number two, the sixth great extinction is really dangerous. It's a related problem, but we're losing species really fast. This is the sixth great extinction event in the history of the Earth. And nothing bigger than a squirrel solves a great, nothing bigger than a squirrel survives a great extinction. You and I are bigger than a squirrel. We will not survive a great extinction. And we are in a great extinction event right now. Item number three, the problems to be solved include the fact that people are too busy to solve these problems. You know, people are too busy. The system keeps us really busy because the system is run by plutocrats, which is the people that have the money because we have the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And the system is designed and operated by people who have money and they make every effort to extract everything they can from us and they make every effort to keep us busy, tired, distracted, entertained, so that we won't have the time or the energy or the will to solve the problems that need to be solved. Because if we solved the problem of climate change, we would also be dethroning the plutocrats. The next problem we need to solve is that our, just what I said, our society is run by people who do not have our best interests in mind. That is a problem to be solved. If we don't solve that problem, we will not be able to solve the problem of climate change. Our society is run by people who do not care about us. They want us to think that they care about us, but you know, somebody who's picking your pocket wants you to look the other way. Somebody who's picking your pocket doesn't want you to see the situation for what it is. So the problems to be solved include climate change is really dangerous. The sixth great extinction is really dangerous. People are too busy to be able to solve these problems. And our society is run by people who do not have our best interest in mind and do not care about us as much as they would like to think, uh, as much as they would like us to think differently. Now let's talk about you know, the vision. Uh, you know, we, had, we had five steps towards solving a problem. One is to cast a vision or to at least understand where you want to go with this. And I would like to cast that vision in terms of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's five freedoms. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, or four freedoms, said you know, we should have the freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear. So I'm going to change the second one. Instead of saying freedom of worship, I'm going to update it a little bit. And let's just say the freedom to be. The freedom to be who we are and the freedom to believe what we want to believe without being interfered with or harassed or worse. So we know that today we don't have freedom of speech. Uh, as much as the powers that be would like us to think the contrary, if you think we have freedom of speech or freedom of the press, look at Julian Assange. Julian Assange is in prison for life, even though he has not been officially charged, or if he has been charged, he has not stood a trial. 
he is not he doesn't have the right to due process but you know Julian Assange exposed war crimes if you want to know the war crimes that Julian Assange exposed then look up collateral murder on YouTube it's American troops gunning down uh, Iraqi civilians in the street Julian Assange is in prison for exposing that and he's in prison for exposing leaked emails from the Democratic Party. But he is a publisher. He is a journalist. And he's in prison for life for being a journalist. That's not freedom of speech. Chelsea Manning is another person that has been harassed endlessly. She worked with Julian Assange to expose war crimes on the part of the U.S. military. Fred Hampton is another person that did not have free speech. He was murdered in his bed by the FBI and the Chicago police. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is another person who did not have free speech. I'm inclined to believe that he was not killed by a lone gunman, but he was killed in cooperation with certain law enforcement officials. And most of Dr. King's adult children believe that he was not killed by a lone gunman. And in fact, there was a, a, a court case that, that determined that. There was a civil case against the city of Memphis that ultimately determined that it's more likely than not that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not uh, killed by James Earl Ray acting alone, but it, it, it killed by James Earl Ray as part of a conspiracy to take his life. So that's not free speech. When the... Um, when the government is wanting to gun you down for what you believe and what you say, that is not free speech. We could go on and on and on about how we do not have free speech. Freedom of speech is the first of the four freedoms. Another of the four freedoms is the freedom to worship, or I'm saying the freedom to be. Uh, you know, whatever you believe, whoever you are, whatever your temperament is, you should have the freedom to be that, whether it's based on sexual orientation, whether it, or sexual identity, whether it's you know whether you're a, a communist. So you know, I'm a child of the Cold War, and I was always taught that communists are bad, and communists are aggressive, and communists are authoritarian. That's why we're going all over Latin America killing communist babies. Well, they're communists, but they're, they're babies, but they're communist babies. Or Vietnam, you know, we're killing children, but they're communist children, you know. As long as, we're, as long as we're fighting a war against communism, then we can kill whoever we want. And that's the attitude our government had, and that's the attitude that the government spread, and the government and the media spread within our society. But that's not freedom to be. If you're not free to be a communist, then you're not free, because, just because. Okay, freedom from want, number four, freedom from want. We have a system that uh, systematically uh, deprives us of, of health, uh, deprives us of our time. Many times it deprives us of our lives in ways that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But you know, one thing that you know, somewhere between like 40 and 70,000 people per year die because we in the United States do not think, at least the powers that be do not think, that health care is a human right. Now, 70% of the American population believe that health care is a human right, but the powers that be don't. So, you know, we have the most expensive health care in the world. We spend twice as much on health care as most other uh, countries. 
and it doesn't even cover everybody. So freedom from want would be providing Medicare for all. Freedom from want would also be providing a universal basic income or what Dr. King called a guaranteed annual income. That would, you know, guaranteed annual income at the poverty level, like if it's $10,000 per person per year or if it's $20,000 per person, um, then whatever it is to get a person out of poverty, then that should be the guaranteed annual income because that would be uh, you know, guaranteeing people freedom from want. The fourth freedom is freedom from fear. Now, freedom from fear includes the freedom from undue risk and danger. So freedom from fear would include freedom from war. Uh, you know, the American government has killed millions of people in my lifetime. The Vietnam War alone killed millions of people. Our interference with Indonesia probably killed over a million people. Certainly, 500,000 is not an un, uh, uh, not an unreasonable number for uh, for the number of people that were killed in Indonesia in the 60s uh, because of interference on our part. People have died all over Latin America in my lifetime because of the U.S. interference. In you know, 85,000 people in El Salvador in the 80s. Uh, 200,000 people in Guatemala from the mid 50s to the uh, to the mid 90s because of a civil war that was started and orchestrated and perpetuated by our military and our CIA. Well, people in countries that are interfered with like this do not have the freedom from fear because they do not have the freedom from war. We should have freedom from over, freedom from fear would include the freedom from over-policing, freedom from no-knock warrants, freedom from being arrested because you have, uh, you know, a small amount of drugs for personal use, freedom from being arrested for no reason at all. A lot of people are arrested for no reason at all and then put in prison indefinitely. This happens. And if you don't believe me, read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. People are put in prison without sufficient evidence. And if you have to, if you're walking along the street, if you can't be, uh, if you have to fear the police officer, that's driving along the street, then, then people don't have freedom from fear. We need to have freedom from the prison industrial complex. We need to have uh, freedom from we, prison industrial complex. We have the largest prison population in the world. We have 5% of the world's population and we have 25% of the world's prison population. A fourth of the prisoners in the world are in the United States. And this is supposed to be the land of the free. Freedom from fear means being free from the prison industrial complex. Most prisoners are there because of non-violent uh, drug offenses. That is not freedom. 
We also need to be freedom from the, we need to be free from the fear of climate catastrophe. So, you know, if anybody who understands climate change is rightfully afraid of climate change, we have the right to be free from that fear, but not as long as we have a system that is ruled by plutocrats. We have the right to be free from the sixth great extinction. Anyone who knows about and understands the sixth great extinction is going to be free from, is going to be fearful of that. We should, we have the right to be fear, excuse me, we have the right to be free from fear of the sixth great extinction, but that's not what we have. We do not have freedom from that fear. We also have the right to be free from fear of environmental toxins. You know, ever you know, every time you go out the the out of the house, if you live in a, especially if you live in a poor neighborhood, then you're breathing in like nitrous oxide, which is a you know a byproduct of um, of diesel engines. The, those things shorten people's lives, and they're not. Um, it's not necessary. These things do not exist because people want them to exist. These things exist like lots and lots of diesel engines, uh, lots and lots of trains. Trains are fine, but as long as we use them for the right things. Lots and lots of semi-trailer trucks driven by diesel engines, you know, put out all that smoke and breathe in all that nitrous oxide and shorten your life. We have the right to be free from the fear of those environmental toxins, but that's not the world we live in. It could be, but it's not. And I'm going to add three more freedoms to Roosevelt's list. So Roosevelt's list is freedom of speech, freedom uh, of worship, which I'm calling the freedom to be, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. I'm going to add three freedoms to that. One is to the freedom to pursue our whims and passions. Uh, and one of them is the freedom from lies and the freedom from theft. So freedom to pursue our whims and passions you know, that's something that only the, priv only the wealthy and privileged really have. The less money you have, the less freedom you have to pursue your whims and passions. We're supposed we supposedly live in a free market society, but a free market is only free to those who have money. And the more money you have, the more freedom you have in a free market. So one reason we're talking today about getting our time back is that if we get our time back, then we would have the freedom to pursue our, our whims and passions. As it is, the wealthy have that freedom, but they deprive us of that freedom because, you know, the wealthy are basically hoarding money, power, and opportunity. Another freedom is the freedom from lies. We've been indoctrinated our entire lives. I'm 57, I was 54 years old before I realized how much in my entire life I had been indoctrinated with lies. Now I know kind of a truckload of information about what my government has really been doing during the course of my lifetime, how my government has been going all over the world, um, what they want us to think is that the government goes all over the world, saving the world from itself. But the opposite is true. What our government does is, is goes all over the world, killing people who don't deserve it, 
uh, depriving people of liberty, depriving people of economic opportunity. If you want me to prove that, then email info at theclimatereport.net and I'll send you a personal email and I may make a, an, an episode out of it. I'm always happy to do another episode on the shenanigans that our government has been up to, uh, you know, killing people, uh, de depriving people of their liberty, intimidating people, and, uh, you know, depriving people of everything that matters including life, including liberty, including health. Another freedom we should be entitled to is freedom from theft. So that's what the, the, that's what the plutocrats do. They steal everything that matters. Uh, and you know, so that's what we'll be talking about in this episode. So let's get to it. So what I've got here is 14 ways for us to get our time back. Let's start with number one is defense. A reduced defense by 90%. Defense, i.e. the Pentagon, takes from us about $4,000 per year per person. Maybe that's $3,000, maybe it's $4,000, maybe it's $5,000. It depends on whether you count the $750 billion a year. This year it's $740 billion that we give directly to the Pentagon. Uh, if you count only that, then the number is probably close to $3,000 per year per person that they're taking from us. But defense is not just about the Pentagon. It's about the Department of Energy, which has nuclear weapons. It's about Department of Homeland Security, because Homeland Security is not about defending the homeland from foreign terrorists. It's about defending the powers that be from us. That's why the uh, Department of Homeland Security is all about surveillance. So defense includes Department of Homeland Security. It also includes Department of Veterans Affairs. Every time we get into a war, we have to spend more money on taking care of veterans. And we should. We don't do enough to take care of our veterans. The veterans get screwed by a system that really doesn't care for them. They, they want us to say, oh, thank you for your service, but they don't want to spend the money that it takes to properly compensate and care for our veterans who put themselves in, har in harm's way, usually under false pretenses, almost always under false pretenses. So one way we can get our time back is to not spend three to $5,000 per year on so-called defense. We need to reduce defense by 90% because it does not defend us and because we spend more money on defense than the next 10 countries combined. The number two spender in defense is, uh, is China, which spends about a third as much as we do on defense, but they have four times as many people. So my math tells me that on a per capita basis, China spends about one twelfth what we do on defense. I know that Russia spends about one-tenth of what we do in defense. About $60 billion a year is what Russia spends on defense. So we spend more on defense than the next 10 countries combined. And that's not the only way that the Defense Department takes from us. It also takes from, at least takes from the people around the world uh, you know, it, it, it takes our health because of environmental pollution. Every bomb, every plane, every Humvee, 
every drone, every warship produces lots and lots and lots of carbon, lots and lots and lots of, uh, of, of air pollution, lots and lots and lots of water pollution. This environmental pollution caused by the Department of Defense steals the time of you and me and people around the world. That there are honorable people within the military, but as an enterprise, the uh, military is unspeakably cruel. Obama was the king of drone strikes. It actually, you know, Trump did even more drone strikes than Obama, but Obama did more drone strikes than, uh, than George W. Bush. And drone strikes kill nine civilians for every one supposed terrorist. And this is freaking assassination. Even if you think, even if the government thinks somebody is a terrorist, they need to, there needs to be, a, there needs to be due process. There's not a pitched battle going on. There is no reason to, uh, to deprive people of due process. Even, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say even Osama bin Laden was deprived of, of due process. He was a suspect. He was a suspected murderer. Maybe he did it. Probably he did it. But he was deprived of a trial. And the people who raided his compound and, and shot him, they, you know, he was not de defending himself. They could have apprehended him without any danger to themselves. But you know why that didn't happen? Because Osama bin Laden would have had stories to tell about how the United States had put him in business in the 80s. Osama bin Laden was a CIA asset. And this is, you know, common knowledge among anybody who cares to look into the matter. But this would have been front and center in front of the American people. But in any event, no matter what the facts, no matter what the circumstances, every criminal deserves due process of law. And Osama bin Laden was executed. It was an extrajudicial killing. It was a killing without due process of law. We have to stop in just a minute, but next time we're going to talk about how automobiles, or, you know, this has it's been about getting our time back. So we're going to talk about how automobiles deprive us of our time and how we can change that. We're going to talk about how uh, environmental toxins deprive us of our time and how we can change that. We're going to talk about how for-profit utilities deprive us of our time and how we can change that. We're going to talk about how consumer culture deprives us of our time and how tool and toy libraries could change that. We're going to talk about how we need to just say no to all the extraction and manufacturing and construction that happens and how if we did, that would you know give us back much of our time. We're going to talk about how we should have Medicare for all. Uh, and how that would give us much of our time back. We could, we're going to talk about how we should just say no to allowing pharmaceutical companies to patent drugs that were developed at public expense. We're going to talk about universal basic income, why we should all have universal basic income, and why it is completely fair and right and just for us to have universal basic income. We're going to talk about how the corporate media deprives us of our time and how we can change that. We're going to talk about how NAFTA deprives us of our time 
we're going to talk about how the union laws, such as they are, deprive us of our time and how we can change that. That's all the time we have. If you have any questions, comments, or observations, email info at theclimatereport.net. If you'd like to suggest a topic for me to talk about, please do. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you have a great day and come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 282. Today's topic is getting our time back. So the idea is that the system that we have, the, 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 the government and the, which is controlled by corporations, but the system that we have takes so much of our time. If we look at thing by thing by thing, item by item by item, uh, so much time is taken from us, and here's how to get it back. So if you have any comments, questions, or feedback about this material, please email me at info at theclimatereport.net. I would be happy to answer any questions that I can. I would be happy to get your feedback, and I would also be happy to, if there's a certain topic that you think I should address here, then I would be happy to try to make that into a, uh, a program. So I've got 15 items here, things that tend to take our time. We're going to talk about how they take our time and what could be changed so that we can get much of our time back. And it's important that we do get our time back because for one thing, you know, you live once. And nobody has a right to rob you of your time, and yet that's what's going on on a large scale. So we'll talk about, you know, but not only so we can have more time to enjoy, but also so we can have more time to solve the real problems as opposed to the fake problems. So, you know, our, our government and the corporate media and the corporate, you know, lobbyists and all that want to direct our attention to fake problems like Iran is a threat to us or Venezuela is a threat to us or Nicaragua or Cuba is a threat to us or North Korea is a threat to us or China or Russia. Russia, Russia is a threat to us. So they don't want to divert our attention away from real problems and toward fake problems. And when our time and attention is on fake problems, then our time is being robbed from us. When somebody is able to trick us or fool us into spending money that we shouldn't have to spend, our time is being robbed. When we have to face environmental toxins that deprive us of our health, our time is being robbed. When we have to drive cars that cost on average $8,000 per year, when we should have a functional system of mass transit, then our time is being robbed. When we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world, and when health insurance companies are robbing us of, of, of the, you know, when we have to pay more for healthcare coverage than anybody else because, the, because of very profitable healthcare insurance companies, because the CEOs and the, you know, the hedge funds 
are getting lots and lots of money from that. And since money is time, then we are being robbed of our time. We're going to talk about technology and who controls technology and how that represents a theft of our money and our time. We're going to talk about how NAFTA represents a theft of our money and our time, about how anti-union laws are a, uh, a theft of our money and our time. So item number one, too much darn defense rubs, robs us of our money and our time. We have more defense than the next, we, we spend more on defense than the next 10 countries combined. It has nothing to do with defense. It has everything to do with maintaining a world empire. Defense does not defend us. Besides all of this uh, defense-related industry causes lots and lots of environmental pollution, spews out lots and lots of carbon. It has no justification whatsoever, and defense in my lifetime has never defended us. We have only participated in wars of aggression. The United States only does wars of aggression. The United States does not use its military to defend us. So I say let's reduce defense spending by 90% and put on average $4,000 per year back in people's pockets or at least spend that money on something that would benefit and profit us instead of just benefiting and profiting the oligarchs at the very top. Item number two of how the government and the corporations that run the government rob us of our money and our time, automobiles cost on average $8,000 per year per car. This counts the purchase price, it counts any interest that you pay on a loan, it counts insurance, it counts uh, certainly fuel, and any repairs that you might get, you're paying for parking, etc. But $8,000 a year is a conservative figure for how much we pay for automobiles, and yet we have way too many automobiles. We have automobiles not because of any process that is democratic or, uh, or, or, or free market. We have automobiles, you know, we would always have some automobiles, but we have as many as we do because the government at the behest of big corporations in the late 40s and early 50s decided that we were going to have a transportation system where you have to have an automobile to get around. And this is a good racket. This is a good, uh, you know, a good racket for the automobile companies and the oil companies and a lot of other companies. But it's the automobile companies, notably General Motors chief Alfred Sloan said, whatever's good for GM is good for America, you know, as if, as if whatever's good for corporations is good for people, as if, but that's what we got. And not only did they build, so, so when you take transportation dollars and you spend them on highways and more highways and more highways and more highways, and you don't build any trains, and you don't do anything for bus transportation, then you end up with a system where everybody, everybody, everybody needs a car to get around. That's not choice. You might have a choice between a Ford and a Toyota, but you don't have a choice between driving or riding the train or the bus. 
So this system has been imposed upon us and anybody who owns a car on average, you're spending about $8,000 a year just to get around. The way to change that is to demand that our state, local, and federal government shift the ratio. Right now we spend like a hundred to one on cars versus trains and other non-automobile modes of transportation. We could shift that. We could all of a sudden say, hey, we're not going to widen highways anymore because no new fossil fuel infrastructure. You know, how do you get off of fossil fuels? You stop, if you want to, like if you want to get out of a hole, stop digging it deeper. So if we want to get off of fossil fuels, we want to stop building new fossil fuel infrastructure. We want to stop drilling new wells, stop mining more coal, stop building new pads for fracking. And we need to stop building new roads. We need to stop widening our highways because look at this from the Texas A&M uh, Department of uh, Texas A&M Transportation Institute, adding new lanes to an existing freeway can range between $2 million and $10 million per lane mile. So there's this big old bypass that's going in uh, that's going to connect I-71 and I-65. Let's just do a little simple math. Let's say that's 20 miles long. And it says here that the cost of constructing a new freeway can range between five and $20 million per lane mile. So let's say very conservatively that that's going to be $10 million per lane mile. And uh, so 20 miles times four lanes times $10 million per lane mile, it gets you at about $800 million. And that's just one 20 mile highway, $800 million for one 20 mile highway. So we're not spending any money on trains. We're not spending any money on buses, we're, but we are going to spend $800 million on one bypass. All of which tends to perpetuate the system where you have to have a car to get around because they're not building any trains. They're not building any infrastructure for buses, let alone, you know, buy the buses. You know, the government needs to be buying the buses for, so that people can go from one place to another. Why not spend money on buses instead of more automobile related infrastructure? And because this automobile related infrastructure means that $8,000, you're paying it out of your pocket, but it's like a tax because you don't have a choice but to pay it if you want to get around and if you want to live a normal life. So it's a tax of $8,000 per year per car. And because it takes our money, it also takes our time because time is money and money is time. Item number three, how we can get our time back is demand Medicare for all. So 70% of Americans favor Medicare for all. 85% of Democrats favor Medicare for all. A majority, uh, you know, one poll showed a majority of Republicans favor Medicare for all because maybe they're starting to understand that the government is not the only tyrant 
among us. Corporations can be tyrannical. In fact, by definition, a corporation is tyrannical because it's a strictly hierarchical organization. The shareholders call the shots. The shareholders tell the board of directors what to do. Board of directors tells the the CEO what to do. The CEO tells everybody else what to do. And we are under the, you know, uh, uh, the, the healthcare system that we have is tyrannical, it's inefficient, it's expensive, it does not deliver us the outcomes, the health outcomes, that we should be able to expect from the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Another thing about the system that we have now is that it's terribly inefficient. We About 25% of the health insurance premium that you pay goes for administrative costs. By contrast, Medicare has something on the order of 3 or 4% administrative costs. So the administrative costs of a government-run healthcare system are much lower than the uh, administrative costs of a so-called private healthcare system. And, you know, government-run healthcare system, is, it's what every other, um, every other industrialized country has. Why can't we have that? because our government is controlled by these big corporations. Joe Biden is controlled by these big corporations. That's why he said, I would veto Medicare for all if it passed both houses of Congress. That's democracy. When the president says, I would veto uh, Medicare for all, even if it passed both houses of Congress, even if 70% of the American population favors Medicare for all, Joe Biden would veto it because he is bought by the healthcare industry. So let's get our time and money back by changing over to Medicare for All. Item number four, how to get our time and money back, is no patents on drugs developed at public expense. Uh, you know, the way the system works is that most new drugs are developed by government-funded research. And then when the drug is ready to uh, ready to go to market or at least ready to go through the well at a certain stage in the process the the drug the patent for the drug is sold to a company the company gets a patent on the drug and the patent is a monopoly and the monopoly means you're the only one that gets to sell that drug so the pharmaceutical company gets to gouge the t the customer. So the customer is also a taxpayer. So as taxpayer, uh, the, the, the patient has paid for this research, but as, uh, as a patient, the patient gets gouged for the price of the drug. So the way we need to deal with that, for one thing, I think a study was done to indicate that it would just be cheaper for the government to pay for the research and cut the for-profit middleman out of the loop. So that's one thing to do, is for just the government to do research on drugs that actually relate to people's health instead of a baldness or erectile dysfunction just let the government do the research. And then uh, whenever there's a drug 
that is sold by a private company uh, that was uh, developed at public expense, then there should not be a patent. It is not, you know, Moses did not come down off of the uh, off of Mount Sinai and, st- and say, you know, intellectual property must be patented. There's nothing that says intellectual property has to be patented. There's nothing that says any device has to be patented. You know, the inventor of that device, did they not drive, did they not go to public schools? Did they not drive on public roads to get to work? People who patent these devices owe a heck of a lot to the public, but instead they're just gouging people. So let's do away with patents. No more patents on drugs that are developed at public expense. Item number six on how to get our time back by getting our money back is universal basic income. So universal basic income is where the government just pays everybody uh, you know, a regular payment. It's like Social Security except for everybody. So why would you do that? Why would you pay people irrespective of, of whether they work or not? Well, because that's, you know, that's what the very rich do. I mean, they rig the system. That doesn't mean they work. I mean, you know, uh, like Jeff Bezos' annual income is something like, I don't know, a, a million times the average Amazon worker. There's no way that he earns that. By definition, the people who make the most money are getting it because of stocks they've invested in. So this is what you call upwards wealth redistribution. The person at the bottom pays taxes to the government. The government then pays the uh, pays oligarchs. Like in the Defense Department, we pay taxes to the government. The government gives it to the Pentagon. The Pentagon gives it to defense contractors and defense contractors make a lot of money that way. Also, the Pentagon pays for research in like aeronautics, uh, computer research, all the computer technology that we have, we have because of decades of government research. The microchip, the telecommunications technology, the video technology, laser technology, all that's a result of government research. So government-funded research is something the taxpayers paid for. We pay that to the government. All this research happens, and then those technologies get handed over to the private sector. And when you hand those technologies over to the private sector, then who makes money off of them? It's the shareholders who invest in this or that company that does well. So whether, it, I would say that it doesn't have to be that way, but as long as it is that way, let's reverse the process through a universal basic income. We're distributing wealth upwards, let's distribute wealth back downwards through a universal basic income. That is why a universal basic income is just and fair. So let's get our time and our money back by item number six, universal basic income. Item number seven, NAFTA. So NAFTA is the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, part of the World Trade Organization, at least the World Trade Organization governs NAFTA and other trade deals. And these trade deals have nothing to do with free trade. 
free trade is supposed to be, when you think free trade, you think, oh, we're going to lower all the tariffs. Well, tariffs are already pretty darn low. These trade agreements have nothing to do with tariffs. They have everything to do with colonialism. It's like, let's let American companies set up shop in Mexico so they can make money there, or they can pay people slave wages and uh, be subject to Mexico's environmental laws, which are virtually non-existent compared to our own. It's also about transporting goods a long, long way, so there's lots and lots of carbon output and lots and lots of pollution because of transporting goods to Mexico and then transporting the finished product back, or transporting raw materials to China and then transporting the finished product back to the U.S. Lots and lots of carbon in that process, lots and lots of pollution in that process and all the while we're depriving American workers of the opportunity to do the work to do those manufacturing jobs. Furthermore, when manufacturers leave a certain locality, then there goes the tax base. So in in Indiana and Michigan and Pennsylvania, these are all places that don't have a tax base and the the localities, the local government is crumbling because the tax base went away, and that's because of NAFTA. So NAFTA and the World Trade Organization have robbed Americans of those manufacturing jobs, and it, it's more profitable for the people at the very top, but as we know, profits have been going up, 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 up our entire lifetime. Meanwhile, wages have stagnated. Wages are flat. So NAFTA is part of that scheme of things. Another part of it is anti-union laws, which we'll get to. But whenever you hear NAFTA, you need to know that it has nothing to do with free trade. It has everything to do with getting you know, cheap labor and sometimes slave labor. I mean, we could talk about how Disney employs uh, sl slave labor in Haiti and Nike employs slave labor in, in Indonesia. And it's like out of sight, out of mind. They don't know what it is. They don't know about it and they don't want to know. We could talk about how Apple employs, you know, buys from companies that employ slave labor in Congo. We could talk about how Tesla wants to go to Bolivia and extract all the lithium so they can have lithium ion batteries for their Tesla cars. And it's all about colonialism. It's all about empire. It's all about building lots and lots of wealth at the expense of American workers and at the expense of workers around the world. So let's get our time and money back by repealing or, an entire, or entirely renegotiating NAFTA. And the same applies to TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Joe Biden is in office. One of the first things he's going to do is try to get the Trans-Pacific Partnership rammed through. Trans-Pacific Partnership is NAFTA on steroids. It is a bad deal. It is bad news for all the same reasons that NAFTA was bad news. And mark my word, John Yarmouth, Mr. Liberal, is going to vote for any Trans-Pacific Trans Partnership. He is a sellout. He is not on the side of the people. He's there only because we have so little to choose from. He never met an NDAA he didn't like. You know, 
NDAA means National Defense Authorization Act. Let's spend more and more and more on defense. In the middle of a pandemic, let's spend money on defense. In the middle of a pandemic, let's enact TPP because we can't be bothered with Medicare for all. And we can't be bothered with pro-union laws. So let's go to item number eight. Item number eight in getting our time back is, uh, is let, let, let's strengthen unions. Let's give people the right to bargain collectively. Not only the right to bargain collectively, but let's say there's not going to be any more right to work states. Right to work means the right to scrounge. Plus, we are going to allow sympathy strikes. We're going to allow solidarity strikes. We're going to allow one workplace to strike in solidarity with another workplace. And some people might say, oh, that's going to shut the economy down. And I'm like, yeah, because our economy, such as it is, does not serve the needs or interests of people. Our economy, such as it is, serves the needs and interests of the people at the very top. That's why uh, profits have been going up and up and up and up and up for decades while wages have remained flat. Another thing we need to know about pro-union laws is some people think that oh, unions are just greedy and if, uh, if a union member earns more that means somebody else has to earn less or, or union laws cause unemployment. If unions are strong, that means uh, you know, it's just going to mean one less person that gets hired. All of that is nonsense. You have to look at how profits go up and up and up while wages stay the same. Plus, if, uh, if people in your community are union and they earn more as a result, wouldn't you rather live in that community because they have more money to spend? They have more money to put back into the local economy. So union wages and union benefits are good for the local economy. Plus, unions are fundamentally a threat to capital, and we need to be a fundamental threat to capital. Capital has too much control. When capital has all the control, that means money has all the control. When money has all the control, that means we live in a plutocracy, not a democracy. We should be doing everything we can to get capital under control so that the people are in charge. A democracy is when the people are in charge. If money is in charge, then you don't have a democracy. And that's exactly what we don't have. We don't have a democracy because money is in charge. So item number eight on how to get our time and our money back is have pro-union laws. Item number nine on how to get our time and money back is we need freedom from environmental toxins. Environmental toxins deprive us of our health. They deprive us of our life. Whenever you don't have your full health, you're being robbed of your time. Whenever you don't have your life, of course, you're being robbed of your time. And in the, one of the main sources of environmental toxins we need to be concerned about is petrochemical plants. So petrochemical means chemicals made from petroleum. Uh, plastics are made from petroleum. Fertilizers are made from petroleum. And it's not that we don't need some fertilizers. It's not that we don't need some plastics. It's that we don't need more petrochemical plants. You know, petrochemical complexes have been, uh, you know, known to cause cancer 
in like Texas and Louisiana, so they call it Cancer Alley because of the high rates of cancer in those places. They're wanting to build petrochemical plants in the Ohio Valley, for one thing, to make fracking more profitable, which is the last thing we need to do. The last thing we need to do is make fracking more more profitable, but you've got this Appalachian Storage Hub, which is a planned $400 billion petrochemical complex that promises to turn the Ohio River Valley into Cancer Valley, just as parts of Louisiana and Texas became known as Cancer Alley. Our Metro Council should pass a resolution demanding an immediate halt to this project. We're going to have to talk about this topic another time because there's so many more things we could talk about in terms of how we can get our time and money back by restructuring things. I've got a few seconds left. Let me leave you with something to think about. Our Constitution starts off, we the people of the United States. And we don't, we the people of the United States don't realize how much we've been robbed of our money, our time, and our power. That needs to change. I hope you've enjoyed this. Please uh, email info at theclimatereport.net, info at theclimatereport.net if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Have a great day.